Hey, everybody. I'm David G. I'm an alcoholic and addict. Really grateful to be here tonight. Ashley, as always, thank you for your service to this meeting and all the other fellowships that that you're a part of. And Dennis T., you as well, brother. Thank you so much for your service. I'm really glad to be here. God, we've been going through the book for a long time now, for several weeks, and uh, we've really been breaking it down, taking an in-depth, close look at sharing experience, strength, and hope. Let me just start out by saying that I have been through this process as it's outlined the big book about Alcoholics Anonymous with a loving God and a big book step study sponsor, a couple of them now. I've made all my amends, but one amend, and I'm in the process of doing that now. And I do practice steps 10, 11, and 12 as a new way to live today. And we're on page 99 in the big book tonight. We've really looked at the first and second visit pretty in-depth from page 89 to 96, we looked at the first visit. We looked on page 90, what they called an interview process in those days, several questions that we asked the person to try to get a better idea of how we want to sponsor him and how we would want him to sponsor us if the tables were turned. I think for so long, I had such a narrow view of what working with others was all about. Because anytime I would read about it or any time that I would ever share about it at a meeting, I would always share about working with the alcoholic addict. And that's a very, very big part of what we do here once we've had this awakening and we, we have a message of depth and weight to carry. But that's not the only part of step 12. You know, the other part is practicing the principles in all of our affairs. And that's something that I fell short of for so long because, one, I didn't really know how to do it. I just felt like living life a little better than I had been was good enough. But I see now after a downfall in 2019 with lust and sexual acting out and just an emotional bottom that just really took me out. Coming back and going through this process and doing this work as it's outlined in the book, I really began to see that there was a lot of things that I had missed when it comes to practicing the principles in all of my affairs. And um, step 10, as outlined in the book, and step 11, as outlined in the book, is a very good way for me to begin to learn to do that. And so as time went on, a lot of the things that I used to do, even when I wasn't drinking or acting out, were still things that were self-centered. They were very much focused only on me. You know, I may cook a meal or something like that once in a while in my life or whatever and think that that was good enough. But after going through this process this time and really begin to have an awakening, there's a lot of things that begin to change in my life. At first, I just started doing it because I wanted to try to practice something different. But as time has went on, that's become more and more of a way that I live my life on a daily basis. There are a lot of times that I will go by our work, pick up our car, take it down, wash it, vacuum it, clean it up. Now, before I'd only do that ever if I was in trouble, you know what I mean? So I could try to get on the other side of that. But now I do that because that's something that I want to do. I'm usually home earlier than she is, so I usually take care of a meal or or if there's things to be done around here, I make sure that I get those done. And that has just become such a way of life for me. And so for me, you know, like it describes on page 19, a much more important demonstration of these principles lie before us in our homes, occupations, and affairs. Then it really begins to make a lot of sense that I would want to practice it in that order. First at home, next in my occupation, 
I know for the longest time, you know, we would build up sick days and you were only supposed to use those if you were sick. Of course, you know, we would use them for vacation or other things and we would use those days so that we could save our vacation time for the days when we wanted to go do things. And after this process, I began to realize that I didn't want to do that anymore. I didn't want to cheat the company anymore. And that was something different for me because that was something that just came to me. And so I can remember we, we had a new dispatcher and he came in and I was telling him, I said, I'm going to use a vacation day. And uh, I had something coming up and he said, well, why don't you just use one of your sick days? And I said, because I'm not sick. And he said, yeah, I know. But if you tell me that you are, then I will allow that. And I said, I'm not going to tell you that because I'm not sick. Now, there's a day that I would have and I would have jumped all over that. But that had all changed. So I began to practice something different within my home, within my occupations. I started acting differently in my affairs with my coworkers, with brothers and sisters in the fellowship. And all that stuff really began to change as a result of the process of going through this work. Now, I'm not white as snow in any of those areas. I promise you I fall short just the same as anyone else. But you know, our book is very specific about this. I was blessed to go through these seven chapters with a man that took me through the work very carefully. And then he took me through the back chapters of the book all the way up to page 164. And that's something that I'd never done before. And so there's a lot of good information here on practicing the principles in all of our affairs. But after the seventh chapter or the other areas of life, after the spiritual experience has taken place as a result of the first seven chapters, and those chapters really begin to teach me how to live my life now that I've had the awakening because it's very easy to fall back to sleep if we don't practice this and continue to attend meetings with people who have recovered and begin to live a new way of life. So we're going to pick up there on page 99, and it's going to be where if there be divorce or separation, there should be no undue haste for the couple to get together. The man should be sure of his recovery, and I think that's where I finally had got to. I was pretty sure of my recovery at this point. Now, my wife and other people wasn't quite so sure of it at that time, but they are today, and, and they would tell you that. The wife should fully understand his new way of life. And she did, because for so long, we were members of Alcoholics Anonymous together. And because of my acting out and the things that had happened, that really destroyed the relationship there with a lot of people within the fellowship. And one of my biggest regrets has always been that she's never went back to Alcoholics Anonymous to this day. And she had come through this work, was a student of the big book, knew the big book, the steps very well. So that's always been a very big regret of mine is that she never really actively returned to the fellowship but at the same time you know it's um if the sentence here is asking that the wife should fully understand my new way of life then i should fully understand hers if that's what she decides to do and that's what we've done and it's made for peace all around if the old relationship our book says is to be resumed it must be on a better basis since the former did not work and this means a new attitude and spirit all around now, I'm promised that right there on page 72 of the book. By the time I come through the writing and I finish all that writing, and it's pretty intense in the inventory process. There's several on here that are going through it, and there are several people on here that have already been through it. 
and they can tell you that it's a process, not an event. But on page 72, if you hold your place and just flip there for just a second, at the very beginning of the chapter, it tells us, having made our personal inventory, what shall we do about it? We've been trying to get a new attitude and a new relationship with our creator and discover the obstacles in our path. That was the reason for that. So back over here where we just left off, it says that this means a new attitude and spirit all around. I've been having that experience since way back there, way back there. So sometimes it is best, is to the best interest of all concern that the couple remain apart. Obviously, no rule can be laid down here. I think this is very important for people like myself that sponsor a lot of people. And haven't had the experience of having to sometimes deal with their families. Early on, I would find myself trying to give advice where, for one, it wasn't asked for. And another, it definitely wasn't wanted. And the other was, it was most definitely none of my business. Now, people say, yeah, I don't believe that. That's not true. I, the guy, I sponsor him. He invited me into, I don't know. I don't know about all that, but I know what the book says right here. Obviously, no rule can be laid down. Let the alcoholic continue his program day by day. And here's the key sentence for me in this chapter whenever it comes to what we're talking about. When the time for living together has come, it'll be apparent to both parties, not to me, not to the fellowship, not to anybody else. I think this is something between the couple and God. Of course, you know, I mean, the man working the program day by day and continuing to go through the process of the big book or the work is outlined in the big book. Absolutely. But I don't think that's the sponsor's job. I, I remember a lady calling me one time or talking to me at a meeting and she had a sponsee that had been acting out, had been unfaithful to her husband's what it was. And her idea was that her sponsee go and tell her husband about this so she could hurry up and get over the guilt. I just absolutely do not agree with that. A lot of people say, you know, one thing or the other, but I go by what the book says to do. And it's very clear on page 83 of the book that that's something that we don't always do depending on the circumstances. So I have to remember that I took my vows. They took their vows. This really, my sponsor wasn't there that day. I didn't seek his permission when I took those. Now, thank God I was sober, but at the same time, if it's apparent to both parties whether they will live together or not, that's both parties. So let no alcoholic say he can recover unless he has his family back. This just isn't so. In some cases, the wife will never come back for one reason or another. I had a young guy that I was sponsoring one time, and he was an Alcoholics Anonymous. Very good guy, but he just couldn't get sober. He couldn't quit drinking. And, uh, you know, he'd come in, and he had went to treatment. He sobered up. He'd come in. He wanted to do the work. We sat down. We got into the big book, and he was just flying through it, just really, really going with the work. And I just thought, you know, this guy's doing really well. So when he got near the end of his writing, his wife decided that she didn't want to give it another try, and she ended up filing for divorce. And when that happened, he got very angry. He said, well, there's no point in me doing this anyway. So my response to him was if you were doing this for her to begin with and you were doing it for the wrong reason and he didn't stay around he said well you know i'm going to go out and give it another try and then if it doesn't work out i'll come back well it's been my experience and what i have seen in this program over close to 30 years now 
we don't always get to pick the time that we come back. We might pick the time we go out, but we don't always get to pick the time we come back. And as far as I know, that young man has never come back. And that was 10, 15 years ago, as far as I know. So what it says there is let no alcoholic say he can recover unless he has his family back. It just isn't so. Because if I would have done this for her in 2019, when I hit the emotional bottom with lust and sexual acting out, and she would have welcomed me back and there wouldn't have been too many consequences or whatever, I would like to think that I would have stayed sober and changed my way of life. I'm not so sure that would have happened, to be honest with you. So in some cases or another, the wife will never come back for one reason or the other. Remind the prospect that his recovery is not dependent upon people. It's dependent upon his relationship with God. And there, again, I am the man who is guiding him through this work. I'm not the man to make his decisions. I've got a guy right now that, in a roundabout way, really wants me to do a lot of that for him. And I just tell him, no, I'm not going to do that. As long as you're continuing through the work, there's going to be a little pain to be endured emotionally because the ego dies <laughs> kind of rough. It's been my experience with it. But I think that our relationship is dependent upon God, not upon man. And for so long, I wanted to hang on to my sponsor's coattail, him make all my decisions and do these things. Thank God he wasn't a man who done that. There's only one thing that he ever made me do going through the work. And that was to delete Facebook because I was such a predator there that he knew that if I didn't get rid of that, there was going to be no way. And it would have been a waste of his time. So that's the only thing that he really told me to, to either get rid of or he wasn't going to work with me in this process anymore. Outside of that, he never did. This next sentence is very important to me in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We have seen men get well. Look at that promise. You'll hear in open AA meetings all the time, we never get well here. I mean, yeah, we, we recover, we do better, we this, that, but we don't ever get well. This book is mentioned at more than one time. If you remember, back on page 98, at the second to the last paragraph, it says, burn into the consciousness of every man that he can get well, regardless of anyone. But there is a condition, and that's that he trusts God and clean house. Well, here's that promise again. We've seen men get well whose family who have not returned at all. We've seen others slip when the family come back too soon. I don't think it's not dependent upon circumstance. It's dependent upon spirit. It keeps bringing us back to that over and over and over and over. It is not dependent upon his it is dependent upon his relationship with God. It keeps saying that to us. So it's not dependent upon circumstances, dependent upon God. And, you know, so everything outside of this is just worldly noise that usually goes on in my head when I'm dependent upon people. So both you and the new man must walk day by day in the path of spiritual progress. I think if we help a man to have a spiritual awakening, at least my grand sponsor used to say all the time, that we should stay with that man and walk him through these other chapters of the book to help him learn to walk as an awakening being. It's almost like grabbing a newborn and shaking him out of a dead sleep till he wakes up and then just going away and never coming back. A lot of times, and myself included, I would want to take people through the work and then 
that was it. Go on, learn to live your life as best you can. I have a different outlook on that now. So I think what this says is absolutely true. Both you and the new man must walk day by day in the path of spiritual progress. If you persist, look at this promise. Remarkable things will happen. This is a really important sentence to me in this book. You hear me say that about every page and every every paragraph, but this is really an important sentence for me. It says, when we look back, we realize that the things that came to us, man, as a result of going through this process intuitively, now there are things that come to me that I never could have imagined. I always had to go try to seek it out or find somebody to talk to about it. But the book says, no, when we look back, we realize that the things that come to us, that's what God's will for me is the things that come to me, not the things I go chase after. If I do that, I'm running on self. When we put ourselves in God's hands, we're better than anything that we could have planned. When we look back, we see that now, or I do. So remember on page 132 of the book, if you you hold your place right there and you just run over there for just a second, probably one of the most powerful promises in in the entire book Right at the last full paragraph on that page, it says, we think cheerfulness and laughter make for usefulness. Outsiders are sometimes shocked when we burst into merriment over a seemingly tragic experience out of the past. But why shouldn't we laugh? Look at this. We have recovered and been given the power to help others. I used to hear people in open AA say all the time, we don't have the power to do any of this. We don't have the power to do this or to do that. Well, that's That's not what the book tells me over and over. That power is a gift. And if I use that the right way, then it's very successful. And if I'm very sick in the mind, I can use that and go the other way, and it's very destructive. So, But follow the dictates of a higher power, and you will presently live in a new and a wonderful world, no matter what your present circumstances And I know a lot of us have present circumstances that aren't very pleasing. Some are going through the work and really struggling and really suffering. I promise you that if what this says here, follow the dictates of a higher power and you'll presently live in a new and wonderful world, no matter what those circumstances are. So when working with a man and his family, you should take care not to participate in their quarrels. And I think as a sponsor, I've been guilty of that in the past something would come up and I would want to jump in and try to give advice where I had none to give. I definitely hadn't been a model of any kind of recovery in my own life in that area, but I sure wanted to try to manage his. I don't think anybody has been worse in relationships, drunk or sober, than a bunch of alcoholics and sex addicts. But isn't it funny that we want to run to each other for advice on that kind of stuff? where we begin to sober up. And so having an experience, now there's a lot of men that I will turn to and ask for that advice because I know that they've recovered through this process of the work and they're living a different life today. Those are the guys that I'm going to try to draw from. But I want to be careful not to participate in their quarrels, no matter who's upset. It doesn't really matter who's upset. If she's upset, I'm upset. We're both in the wrong. Anytime that I'm upset, this book 
tells me, and the 12 and 12 as well, it's a spiritual axiom that any time that I'm disturbed, it's because there's something wrong with me. And I've come to learn that through this process of the work. You may spoil your chance of being helpful if you do. There's a promise. But urge upon the man's family that he's been a very sick person and should be treated accordingly. You should warn against arousing resentment or jealousy. You should point out that his defects of character are not going to disappear overnight. Those are things that I can point out. But it says show him that he's entered up on a period of growth. It's easy for me to go tell him, but to show him that he's doing the process of the work and how this is working out, they're going to know about it better than I am. It says, ask them to remember when they're impatient, the blessed fact of his sobriety. And thank God there was a pastor that we had rented the church from where our meetings were being held, where all of this went down in 2019. And he was the only man that came to our home that night and sat down and really, really was into both of our corners all the way through that to the very end. And, uh, you know, it changed my outlook. He was a recovered alcoholic. He had had a lot of trouble in the sex area as well, but he had, uh, you know, he had overcome that and he was on the other side of it. And today it will be very good when I see that man again, to sit down and be able to talk to him and let him know that more than three plus years now, by the God's grace, I've been sober in that area a lot. That's a beautiful thing. So if you've been successful in solving your own domestic problems, <laughs> I meet a lot of guys that have been through the process of work and they still haven't been very successful in this area. My first sponsor was a guy that I love very much and still do to this day. He's a good man, full-blooded native. I mean, just had all kinds of wisdom and the big book and this and this, but his domestic troubles were awful. I mean, he could not keep a relationship together for anything. She was probably crazier than he was and he's crazy, real crazy. And so I could just never get the help I needed from him. But the insanity of it is I kept going back to him trying to get help for that. And, of course, he would try to give me whatever advice he could. But really, if I would have been awake even just a little bit, I could have looked at his life and seen that he hadn't been successful in solving those domestic problems on his own. So if you've been successful in solving your domestic problem, tell the newcomer's family how that was accomplished. And this way you can set them on the right track without becoming critical of them. The story of how you and your wife settled your difficulty is worth any amount of criticism. And boy, I've found that to be the truth. Now, I would never tell that story without her permission. But I have found that the times that I did with the men that I've shared it with, it has been very powerful in helping, helping uh, you know, see the hope of a solution. Assuming we are spiritually fit, remember page 77. It talks about that. It, on page 77, it says it's not an end in itself. The, our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service. So assuming I'm spiritually fit, I can do all sorts of things that alcoholics or addicts, even lust addicts, are not supposed to do. Now, what I'm about to say, don't get me wrong. I don't stand in front of a loaded gun by any means because we're human and we will get shot. There is no doubt. People said that we must not go where liquor is served. We must not have it in our homes and we must shun friends who drink. We must avoid moving pictures with uh, what show scenes. 
we must not go into bars or friend must hide their bottle if we go to their house we mustn't think or be reminded about alcohol at all that doesn't sound like freedom to me through this process that still sounds like bondage of self and again i'm not going to stand in front of a loaded gun by any means but i can tell you i was early sober and alcoholics anonymous and i went to a conference we were very big on going to conferences back in those days now they were having a dance afterwards and a live band and somebody was singing and this and that and uh you know that's just a breeding ground for a lust addict or someone who doesn't know that he is one and so i went there and uh man i tell you what I've killed hogs that sounded better than that lady was singing that night. <laughs> I don't mean to say that to be rude, but that was the most awful thing I'd ever heard in my life. Oh, I just couldn't take it anymore. And I remember walking away from that part of the area, and I was headed down the hallway, and there was a bar there. And I thought, man, I would like to go in there just to, one, hear some better music. Two, I love to shoot pool. But the next thought come to me is you, you might be taking a chance on drinking if you go in there. So there were some other guys coming by and I said, hey, man, what's going on in this? Man, we can't take that lady singing down. I said, I don't know me either. How about we go in here? How about we go in as a group? We don't drink. We shoot pool. We listen to music. We do what we do. We did. We had a good time. And by God's grace. Now, would I go in there every night and hang out? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. In about 2020. My grandchildren wanted to go to a water park in uh, in Dallas, Texas, and my wife and I decided to take them. Now, that was a very big move for me to make, going to a water park with the, with the kind of issue that I had, but I felt spiritually fit enough through this process to be able to do that. Now, would I go there every week? Absolutely not. But I'm not going to not go because of that. Now, if I was in a bad way, absolutely not. I would want to stay away from that. But I think what it says here, you know, if I can't live life again and even go to a movie where something like that's most likely going to pop up, then uh, that's not freedom for me. I like what that next sentence says. Our experience shows that this is not necessarily so. That's a promise. We meet these conditions every day in an alcoholic or a lust addict that cannot meet him. He still has an alcoholic or a lustful mind. There's something matter with his spiritual status that keeps bringing us back to spirit over and over and over and over. It keeps bringing us back to that. His only chance for sobriety would be someplace like the Greenland ice cap, and even there an Eskimo might turn up with a bottle of scotch and ruin everything. Ask any woman who has sent her husband to distant places on the theory that he would escape the alcohol problem. I've seen we've done that with people in the fellowship. We try to hide them out in meetings all the time, which is a good thing. Don't get me wrong. When you're new and you're nervous, I think it's a good thing. But I'm not going to live my life in meetings all the time. Once I come through this process of the work, I know that I was going to live life again. So I think we hear that all the time. Just go to meetings, change our playmates, change our playthings, do all this, do all that. Well, the book says right here, Ask anyone who has sent someone to those places on the theory that they would escape the alcohol or lust problem. Ask them how that's worked out. In our belief, any scheme of combating alcohol which proposes to shield the sick man from temptation is doomed to failure. 
And I think I've done that a lot of times with sponsees. I've been wanting just to read and read and read and read and read every day, all day, do this, do that, do this, do that. And really, whenever I inventory that within my own self, I was trying to shield them from temptation. That's not my job to do. It's just not. Because if the alcoholic tries to shield himself, he may succeed for a time and probably will. But he's usually going to wind up in a bigger explosion than ever. We've tried these methods. These attempts to do the impossible have always failed. This is about abandoning myself utterly to God, making that covenant in step three after coming through the reading in the front chapters and diving into that inventory and staying with it and staying with it until that's finished and discussing it with someone else and moving through the rest of the process. That's the only thing that's ever worked for me. Everything else has always failed. So our rule is, and remember, they always tell us in open AA, there are no rules, but we've seen several of them over these weeks. And here's another one. Not to avoid a place where there's drinking. But there's a condition. Anytime I see squiggly writing in the big book, I want to pay attention to that. If I have a legitimate reason for being there, I had a legitimate reason for being at that water park. I did. I don't know if I had such a legitimate reason for being at that bar that night, but again, I'm not going to be there every night. But the book says, I think what it's trying to tell me is if you're spiritually fit, you don't have to avoid places like this if we have a legitimate reason for being there. That includes bars, nightclubs, dances, receptions, weddings. I guarantee you I'm going to go to weddings again. My son gets married, I promise I'm going to go, you know, or whatever. You know, i got grandchildren coming of age now. So even playing ordinary whoopie party, what about Netflix? You know, I'm going to hide from that too, I guess. So to a person who has had experience with the alcoholic, this may seem like tempting providence, but it isn't. You will note that we've made an important qualification. Therefore, ask yourself on each occasion. This is something that I've never done. I never asked myself this. Have I any good social business or personal reason from going to this place? And the book's telling me if I do go and if I don't stay away. Or am I expecting to steal a little vicarious pleasure from the atmosphere of such a place? If you answer these questions satisfactorily, you need not have no answer apprehension go or stay away whichever seems best there again i can't live my life hid away forever and not get into public where there are going to be women and stuff like that i'm going you know either i am free or i'm not either i've recovered from a hopeless state of mind or i've not and if i have not then i probably need to stay away for sure but i think this is what's so important be sure that you are on solid spiritual ground before you start and your motive is good and going is thoroughly good. We have to live in the world. It all comes back to what is my motive? What is my motive? I want to continue to look at that over and over and over. Do not think of what you'll get out of the occasion. Think of what you can bring to it. And that includes the, the meetings that I go to today. I can remember my sponsor telling me when you quit going to meetings to get something, and you start going to meetings to give something, you're going to have a different experience with the meetings. I've found that that's transferred over into my work. I've found that that's transferred over into my home life, my affairs, all that. That's a great way to live right there. Think of what I can bring to the occasion. But if I'm shaky, I'd better work with another alcoholic instead. So why set with a long face in places where there is drinking sign about the good old days? 
if I'm doing that, then self is still directing my thoughts. If it is a happy occasion, try to increase the pleasures of those there. I think when I do that, that takes me out of self. That puts me back on the level of walking with spirit, and I have a good experience there. So that's me. Go and attend your business enthusiastically. If you're a person who wants to eat at a bar, by all means, go along. Be careful, though. <laughs> Remember what it says. It's about our motives. If you read Jim's stories, he ended up at that bar, and he wasn't in the right place in mind. He didn't have a very good experience out of that deal. But if you read the story very closely, he, he also never worked steps four through nine. He stopped at three. That's very dangerous. It's not a good idea for me to be hanging out at a bar watching movies I shouldn't be walking, watching or going to water parks and none of that kind of stuff. When it's like that, I better stay away. So let your friends know they're not to change their habits on your account. At a proper time and place, explain to all your friends why alcoholic or lust, whatever it may be, disagrees with you. And I've had the opportunity to do that before. People don't ask me to drink very much with them anymore. You know, I tell them a little bit about my story, which I don't tell very much anymore. But when I tell a little bit about that, they don't want to drink with me. They're like, that's fine. You just go ahead. You'll do whatever you want to do. We don't want you going with us. So if you do this thoroughly, few people will ask you to drink. And I, I don't have that experience anymore. So while you were drinking, we were withdrawing from life little by little. But now that we're getting back into social life of this world, don't start to withdraw just because your friends drink liquor or some of them end up watching movies that we shouldn't be watching, stuff like that. Look at these two words, your job. I had an old-timer tell me whenever I came in, this is not a job. This is not something we work at. It's not what my book tells me right here. Remember the third step prayer talks about our employer. Page 77 talks about my purpose. Now it's talking to me about my job. I got all three. I got a new employer. I got a different purpose. And now I've got a different job. And my job now is to be at a place to where I can be of maximum helpfulness to others. Back to page 77 again and again and again. It keeps taking us back there. Never hesitate to go anywhere you can be helpful. You should not hesitate to visit the most sordid spot on earth with such an air and keep on the far line of life with these motives and God will keep you unharmed back to spirit, back to spirit just keeps coming back to spirit over and over and over and over. If I'm relying upon my thinking, if I am still living by self at this point, even after coming through this process, I'm not going to have a very good experience. But if I will do what it's asking me here, turn to spirit, turn to God, walk with God, stay with God, be with God. It all keeps coming back to God. Over and over and over, he will keep you unharmed. What a beautiful, beautiful promise. Because I've ended up in some sordid places in sobriety as well, trying to help others. And it's pretty dangerous places on the streets of Oklahoma City and places like that and different trying to help people, you know, get into treatment or whatever. I mean, it's, it gets pretty ugly down there. But I don't have any worries about that anymore. I just don't and haven't for a long, long time. Many of us keep liquor in our homes. I don't do that. It's not that because I'm worried about anything. There's just no point in that for me. I'm not going to be trying to bring you through a severe hangover. I'm going to get him medical attention that he needs. Uh, I just am. Now, I have done that. I have bought small bottles for guys that were just really in bad shape. The last time I've done that, it was just a small bottle of vodka for a guy. Man, he was suffering hard. 
went to check on him the next day. There was 38 laying on the floor. His brains were all over the wall, and he was dead. That's not a good idea for me at all. That convinced me that I don't want to do that. Some of us still serve it to our friends, provided they're not alcoholic. I have no experience with that. But some of us think that we should not serve liquor to anyone. That's me. We never argue this question. I don't care who does and who don't. I just know what I'm not going to do. We feel that each family in the light of their own circumstance ought to decide for themselves. We're careful never to show intolerance or hatred of drinking as an institution. I had a cousin. He used to say that all the time. I'm going to burn down every bar in this town, every liquor store in this town. He would have done it, too. That dude's crazy. I just told him it's not going to matter, man. <laughs> They're going to build more. You're going to be in jail again. And, you know, it just doesn't matter. I mean, if you go into the meetings and you're showing intolerance or hatred toward that, people are going to see that, that they don't want what you have. Experience shows that such an attitude is not helpful to anyone, period. Every new alcoholic looks for the spirit among us, and he is immensely relieved when he finds that we're not witch burners or bar burners or liquor store burners or whatever it may be. I can remember taking him to this, and he didn't care to read it or hear it. So a spirit of intolerance might repel alcoholics whose life could have been saved had it not been for such stupidity. I believe that. We would not even do the cause of temperate drinking any good for not one drinker in a thousand likes to be told by anything about alcohol who one who hates it. I don't know about you, but alcohol saved me from killing me, and it saved me from killing you and a lot of other people. There were times whenever I drank that to preserve my own sanity because I was so crazy, and I was dangerous, very dangerous, being sober like that. I used to think there is something severely wrong with me because when I stop drinking alcohol, I go into a rage even worse at times than I did when I was drinking. But I could drink and that would calm me down some and that would get me past, you know. So our book says someday we hope that Alcoholics Anonymous will help the public to better uh, realization of the gravity of the alcoholic problem. I think it has. We shall be of little use if our attitude is one of bitterness or hostility. Drinkers, addicts, whatever it may be, they will not stand for it. So after all our problems were of our own making, our bottles were only a symbol. Remember, page 64 talks about that pretty in depth. And it says, besides, we have stopped fighting anybody or anything. Remember, page 84 at the bottom. We've ceased fighting anything or anyone. That includes me. I don't fight David anymore. I used to fight me all the time. A thought would show up. I didn't want it to be there. I'd try to resist it, push it away. it keep coming back. I can't win out with that. Book says I have to stop fighting anybody or anything. I have to. Not maybe that it's a good idea, but that I have to. So I think that I'm going to stop right there, and I do appreciate everybody that come out and that continues to come out each week for these. And again, you know, like I always say, I'm I'm not the authority for any fellowship, and I'm not the guru of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. This has just been my experience as I've learned it, and I hope it helps somebody to go through this process. If you're thinking about going through this process or if you're in the middle of this process, I can tell you don't quit. There's a miracle to be had here. There is. And sometimes we have to go through a little pain to get to that, but I promise you. And this book promises as well. There's clear skies on the other side, and I know that to be a fact, and so do many of you that are on here tonight. 
so I'd like to hear from others and, uh, you know, an answer any questions I could, but I also like, there's a lot of people with experience, strength, and hope on this meeting tonight. I'd like to hear from them as well. So, Ashley, again, thank you for your service. Dennis, to you as well. Really good to be here. Thanks. This concludes David's share on tonight's chapter, but we encourage you to keep listening as he answers questions from the audience and shares additional experience, strength, and hope. I have always wondered if you could elaborate on this sentence on page 101 um, that says, to a person who has had experience with an alcoholic, this may seem like tempting providence, but it isn't. I tried to look up that word providence. I don't know if you can just kind of elaborate on what the sentence is saying. The definition that I see in the 1913 Webster Dictionary is a manifestation of the care and superintendent which God exercises over his creatures. So really that's what providence is, and an event ordained by a divine direction. So there again, for me, I knew where I was at that day. There are days that I can think that I'm, I'm in that place, <laughs> and I may not be. So. I'm not going to stand in front of a loaded gun, like I said, over and over and over. But at the same time, I'm not going to live my life in isolation where, you know, I, I don't even go near somewhere because I'm afraid that something like that might happen to me. Yeah, this is one of the bottom, bottom of 101. You will note that we made an important qualification. This is one that I use with my sponsees all the time, and I have learned to use it with myself. You know, if I have a sponsee that calls and he's in trouble, he's like, oh, man, I come over here. My buddy's in the hospital and his wife asks if I could help on the garage. And, man, I really am struggling over here bad. I really want to take this section. We go right here and we read it. And I ask him, do you have any good social business or personal reasons for going to this place? Absolutely. You're going to help your buddy's wife take care of the garage door. And, but what I want them to see more importantly is before you left, did a fleeting thought cross your mind about you being alone with her, just a thought. And if if it did, which he said, well, yes, it did. Did you just push that aside or did you take that very, very seriously? Because it asked the question, or am I expecting? And I like to put even and am I expecting instead of just or. And am I expecting to still a little vicarious pleasure of the atmosphere? Because I want him to start really paying attention that if I have a thought cross my mind, it may be easy for me to go, oh, no, I would never. No, 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 Donna, you're a sexaholic. If that thought crosses my mind, I immediately pray about it. And maybe on my drive over, I give somebody a call and talk about it. There's many times that I've gone to places around my town where I would have acted out that I go through those areas many times and never think about it. And sometimes I'll get ready to go through an area like that. The thought will come to my mind, even if there's really no temptation with it or feel of danger. But I really like to pay attention. What is the motive? And, and I'm really asking, what's the motive of my addict? Because my addict can be very um, cunning, baffling, and powerful. So, and it helps my sponsees as well to really start looking at their motives. And if they have that little tinge of looking forward to going over there to maybe just steal a little vicarious pleasure, they're already drunk before they left the driveway. And I want them to see that. I'm going to start paying attention to that. And they're in a very dangerous place if they don't do a 10 step, pray. And that's one that you, you pray and then you call. Um, but it doesn't mean you can't go there, but it does say on the other page. But if you're having problems, you better stay and work with another sexaholic instead. So 
that's something that he can call a sponsor or somebody and really talk about. Thanks. And I really, I really love that share, Dennis. Thank you so much. Page 102 says, do not think of what you will get out of the occasion. Think of what you can bring to it. And I think Dennis hit it on the head when he said, when that thought arises, take it to God. That's what we're turned. That's what we're trained to do in our, in our 10th step as we go through this work and then turn your thoughts to someone you can help. And if we do that, then I think what the book is saying here definitely becomes a part of my experience. Do not think of what you can get from this occasion. Think of what you can bring to it. But like he said, you know, if, if I'm shaky, if I don't feel quite okay with that, then I better try to work with someone else instead, or in my case, stay away. So all good stuff, all good shares here. This is a, this is definitely a part of the book that's, um, that really needs to be paid attention to. And I think one of the things that I see most with people that go through this process, they really don't want to continue on with the back chapters of the book. And I think it especially, I'm so grateful I did for one thing. And I think it would have been a very huge mistake had I not. So I don't want to miss this. And, uh, and I can't get enough of it. If I get away from this for any length of time, I forget it. Uh, my mind just takes that away. And when that happens, then I begin to slip backwards in my consciousness, even though I don't even really know what's happening until I find myself at the garage at my buddy's house or whatever. So anyway, thanks everybody. One of the things that is my experience around this is that I can't know my motive if I'm in self's will. My motives are always exposed when I'm in the spirit and I feel a shift in my spirit and that's what I pay attention to. Pass.